The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Well, Aaron Gobry, everybody, and welcome to this uh, St. Patrick's Day edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits, Roundtable regulars uh, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican and Irishman, Henry Hatter. (laughs) (laughs) Happy happy things. Pat Patrick say I'm glad you started with that message. <laughs> and and last but not least, joining our roundtable political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Hi, Bobby. Hi, good morning and happy St. Patrick's Day. I know for sure I'm Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that I do, too. (laughs) Well, there you go. Um, Yes. We always start with uh, a a series of quotes, but the first one is uh, finish the joke, wherein I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And uh, appropriately for the uh, for the day, it uh, goes like this: We have always found the Irish a bit odd. They refuse to what? Mm. How would you hey. finish this quote? 
<laughs> Excuse me, Dave? <laughs> uh, they, they failed to uh, tell a joke with certainty. Refused to work with others? I don't know. <laughs> well, here's the original quote. We have always found the Irish a bit odd. They refuse to be English. Ah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that, that came from Winston Churchill. <laughs> yeah, I was going much further back in history. <laughs> yeah. Well, here are some uh, quotes that are much more recent than that. Um, we start with, uh, the status of democracy also depends fundamentally on the empowerment of women, not only because the exclusion of women in decision-making is a mark flaw of, uh, or is a marker of a flawed democracy, but because the participation of women strengthens democracy. Who do you think uh, said Vice that? Vice President uh, Harris. Absolutely right, Henry. Oh, Kamala Harris uh, declared the status of women is the status of democracy yesterday in her first speech before the United Nations as the first female vice president of the United States. What kind of grade would you give the uh, VP so far? Mm, I'd give her a B plus. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's only been a few months, and uh, VPs always are kind of tied to the president anyhow, but yeah, I'd, I'd give a B or B plus easily. I'll give her a C plus. <laughs> okay, well, the, uh, the next quote uh, goes like this. Um, the Biden administration, however, has one asset that the Trump administration never had, a relationship with Iran. While many were troubled by the Biden team's opening offer to work with Europe and rejoin the Iran deal, known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, I saw it as a smart diplomatic move. Hmm. I just read that. <laughs> a form, uh, maybe a former um, Secretary of State. Yeah, that was. My, so I was going to say some Secretary of State would, would sound like somebody, something from them. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it'll surprise you when you find out who it was. Top Trump advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Son of a gun. Resurfaced on Sunday by penning a Wall Street Journal op-ed about the Middle East, his first public remarks since the end of the Trump administration, and offering a potential indication into how he will seek to cement his own legacy and accomplishments. Does Jared Kushner have a public role apart from Donald Trump? He may be I think he out. does. Yeah, maybe he's I, I think he does. Part. He might Every if he politician. chooses to create it. I think if he if he hangs in there he probably can. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm that's, glad that's, to see him be creative a little bit and shows that's a very, a very, of very interesting statement he made. I, that's interesting and surprising in in several ways. And, and as much as uh, during the Trump administration we liked to talk about uh, Jared and Ivanka and their lack of experience for the roles they were playing, um, Jared Kushner is much more informed than most people now about things in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Well, he spent so much of his four years there, and um, <clears throat> and I think he... I think he went in with a certain attitude or a certain point of view, but I don't think he's stupid. I think he listens. 
But, I, you know, I, I think it, it validates who Trump is. Uh, there is a distinction. There is a difference. But you, in sorting out the distinction and these differences, you've got to have some uh, differences in personalities between family members. And, and interestingly, I, I was really fascinated by, by that remark um, from Jared Kushner because it's not one Donald Trump would have made. Even, That's true. Even if yeah. he thought that yeah. some aspect of the Biden administration was on the right track. Yeah, I, I'm seeing that almost as a way of setting himself apart a little, way, a little bit from the Trump administration. That's, it may be a move in that direction. Whether he's got any kind of future goals or not, I don't know. But uh, it's a very interesting kind of move. And given that it's an informed, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. observation, I, 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 th- I think it's very interesting. It, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if there's a, a, a public political life for Jared Kushner going forward. Well, you know, I think one of the things that that impresses me with is. I see and have the ability to analyze, and I think the ability to analyze indicates an indication that you can change your mind or you can take things in and go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yes. kind of an important uh, um, aspect of governing. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I really don't think this means that he is distancing himself from uh, Trump, I think it's showing that there are variations in how they look at the world, what they believe, what they think. And that's good, because you can't have clones in, in families that do the same thing. But I, I think it's an important first step to creating a space for Jared Kushner that isn't secondary to Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I think he may realize that there is there is going to be some kind of life after Trump, whenever that time comes, whether it's now or whether it's <laughs> you you don't think it's here yet, do you, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> well, my fingers are crossed, but <laughs> I don't think it's here either yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. we we uh, Mitch McConnell has been. Uh, trying quietly to <laughs> promote a post-Donald Trump Republican Party. We'll be talking about that a little later in the show. But uh, but starting right off, uh, state lawmakers across the country have filed more than 200 bills in 43 states that would limit ballot access, and county officials and residents rallied against those efforts in a news conference yesterday. Genesee County Clerk Register John Gleason also asked the County Board of Commissioners last week to approve a resolution that declares the November election, the past November election, was free, fair, and transparent, and that blames former President Donald Trump and his congressional allies with having created an environment that openly encouraged insurrection. Tuesday's nukes conference included representatives of faith, union, and uh, Black Lives Matter groups, and the clerk register said it was necessary to oppose voting rights restrictions that have been introduced in Republican-controlled states across the country in the wake of Trump's repeated false claims about a stolen election. Is grassroots activism the best way to protect voting rights and integrity, 
or should there be national standards? Um, there's got to be national standards that protect rights. You know, if you look at the decision in the uh, Gore v. Bush case that went before the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, the Supreme Court ruled that on the basis of constitutional protections, was it equal protection, I think? But they also stated that that was not to be establishing a precedent. Um, I think any kind of voting law from the federal level has to be based on constitutional protections of equal protection and uh, equal treatment under the law, the 14th Amendment. Because those are the only ones that apply to the state regarding those those rights. I really do believe we need something in the law that would establish that. But I also believe that um, grassroots are absolutely necessary in order to push back and keep what we already have. I also believe that in Michigan, the Michigan legislature is going to have to be able to override a veto if they think they're going to be coming out with anything that's going to harm the voter rights that we have. Yeah. You know, I, I'd go beyond that, Bobby, too, and I'd say this past year especially, and I've used always used the phrase, this is maybe our most honest election, but I also give great credit to local election officials for doing really a, a remarkable job in, in the light of the pandemic and some of the last-minute changes they had to make and the adjustments they had to make for mail-in voting and other similar things like that. And all things considered, it worked pretty darn well, uh, yeah. and, and particularly because some of those things had to be done on the on the fly as there were some last-minute court rulings that changed dates and changed procedures. And as I say, I give great credit to local election officials and the the election workers who pulled it off, it, it did work remarkably well given all the circumstances of 2020. I think you're right, but I also think they had good leadership right. from Jocelyn Benson. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I think the, the Republicans are right in that they uh, did uh, take a look at this because there were some irregularities in the voting behavior that people saw. And you only had to see one or two of those to create great skepticism and mistrust of the system. And uh, just to sweep this under the rug or throw it out in the water uh, so it goes downstream is not enough. We have to make sure that those things don't happen. And that's uh, up to both the Democrats and the Republicans to safeguard that that threshold of, of uh, what we expect from our electoral systems. You know, you know, what's struck me about that? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that supports the argument for grassroots. Yeah. I was going to say that, you know, what struck me about that is that, you know, in a nation of 300 million people, there were some mistakes made, obviously. Of course. Perfect. But when when there was one mistake made, by the time it got retold the tenth time, all of a sudden there were a thousand ballots that were dumped in a river someplace or some stories like that. And when you look back into the facts, it was one minor mistake that was actually corrected in some local area. Well, and we can't forget about those Dewey ballots in the trunk of Paul's car. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we've got to take a short break, but we'll be back with more Armchair Politics after we let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Stay tuned. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we uh, continue our weekly roundtable known as Armchair Politics. Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter for this uh, St. Paddy's Day edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. It's been a year since Flint Community School students have been in a classroom. Now district officials say they are prepared and excited to bring kids back. This past Monday, the district's board approved a plan Wednesday, March 10th, to have students return to classrooms for the first time in the 2020-21 school year. Pre-K through third grade students uh, uh, returned um, in a uh, under a uh, hybrid in-person model on uh, Monday, while students in fourth through twelfth grade are also set to tentatively return to classrooms by Monday, March 22nd. Assistant Superintendent Kevin Jones led a tour Friday through Freeman Elementary School. Sneeze guards were in place in classrooms. A temperature check station was in place at every entrance with stickers placed six feet apart through the halls to help guide social distancing. Every school also has a quarantine room for students who develop symptoms of illness at school to wait for a ride home, Jones said. More than 50% of teachers in the district have been vaccinated. Uh, Over the weekend, the district is offering the... uh, or was offering the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine. All teachers have been offered the opportunity to be vaccinated, Jones added. I- is this the uh, right way to proceed? Well, I, I hope so. My, my only misgiving is that uh, there's in, in a number of area school districts, they've opened up only to have to close down two weeks later when things began to fall apart. So, I mean, I I hope it's right. I hope it works, uh, given the... Given the the best intentions, but as I say, I, I'm struck by how a significant number of area districts did open up only to have to hit the reverse gear when somebody, when people started showing up with infections. Yeah, I think it's like anything else. It depends on the implementation of it. You set up a system that seems like it should work, but if you don't carry through on every single element, it could fall apart. As a, as a person who moved in and out of the classroom from district to district, I think that the process is working really, really well. Their uh, teachers and the staff uh, have strict policies that they uh, mask on all the time except when they're eating or when they leave the building. and as students enter the classroom or enter the building, some districts offer opportunities for students to check their uh, temperatures. But for others coming into the building, they all must check the temperatures before they can enter the building. So I think that school districts are doing everything they can to make sure that they obey the law and protect the interests of their students and their staff. Yeah. So that, Henry, this how, is from the horse's mouth. How's it working in Clio? Is, is Clio fully open, and, and how well is it going there? Uh, it's still uh, partly virtual, okay. like all school yeah. districts are. But they, they have an opportunity, and I think this is voluntary right now, that all students may open up, but it's not mandatory under the governor's rule. 
I wonder about the ventilation systems, because wasn't that an issue? Wasn't that something that needed to be addressed? Well, it doesn't seem to affect... It doesn't seem to affect the 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 protections of the students. Nobody's complaining about it. They open up the windows, and some teachers automatically open up windows, at least one window. Uh, so um, I think that the school districts are doing everything they possibly can to stay out of it. I think that the debates have to loom outside of the school district and leave the school district operate its own uh, environment. Within I the think. I would disagree with you only on the point that I think the community has every right to be concerned about um, how well we educate our children as well as whether they're kept safe while and they're in. That's the principle of a school district is to educate, not to protect all of the other interests. That's their job, to educate, and they try to protect that. There are always um, systems that try to uh, upset that responsibility of school districts by giving them more than they, what they can handle, and they do no, that I diligently. Said, I merely said, Henry, that I think the community has an interest in it, and they have a right to know about it. I have yes, always, I agree with I've always I criticized agree with anybody that would say that schools are not accountable to the rest of the people in the community. Yeah, but school districts have a job to do. It's a, it's a governmental system within the law. But you know and, it's interesting, uh, and and uh, and Henry would never uh, advocate not allowing the community to express concerns and you. be part of the decision making process. I know that from his many years of being on this show. But um, but but it it does raise something interesting because the results have been somewhat mixed in different schools, as Paul pointed out with some schools opening and then having to turn around and close again, while others are experiencing very successful openings um, and, and even been able to reduce the, the amount of space between especially the very young kids to, to three feet rather than six. And, and they've been doing this fairly successfully in some schools. And so it's um, it's kind of a mixed bag. But the thing about schools is because they're institutions, I think they're better at phasing in than some other aspects of public life, uh, you know, businesses, restaurants, and um, other, uh, other establishments uh, that are open to the public. And, and I wonder if we have the patience to phase in as gradually as we should with the rollout of vaccines just getting up around uh, the 15% mark, I think, of people that have been totally vaccinated. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, there was a cartoon in uh, the Week magazine of um, a big station wagon being driven by Dr. Fauci with a sign that said uh, normal up ahead, and the people in the car kept saying, are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, sure. the, and, that, and that is a concern because um, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm, I'm going to go with uh, President Biden's suggestion, and I'm personally holding off till the 4th of July. 
before I yeah, that, that, that before I start wise. really relaxing. Yeah. And of course, yeah. I got to get and vaccinated I too. I think you know, that my, my concern about this, the schools in some way is this idea of going back and forth. I mean, I, I, I've taught distance learning classes, the, the virtual learning stuff, when the whole course was based upon that. And when you plan it out, it can work, you know, reasonably well. But I would hate to do it when you, where you got two weeks in the classroom and two weeks you're virtual and then you're back in the classroom and you're back doing virtual. I mean, that kind of herky-jerky thing probably makes it very tough to teach a class and I think probably and very confusing for students. But if you know what you're I, doing I ahead of time, you can do a good job either way. Go ahead, Henry. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, and you got to remember that people who run school districts, they're the ones on the firing line. They get criticized by the public, they get criticized by uh, legislatures, they get uh, criticized by, by people who are not there all the time. They have a tough job. And, and, t- and being rational and logical, they have to mitigate between safety and between keeping schools open. They try to balance that somehow. They try to work with systems that promote that so that they can achieve their own goals with respect to education. And, and I, I, I think uh, they do whatever the law says, even when the law is adamant, like our law here says, that you must always wear a mask, and, and there's no school. When they order schools closed, they close the schools. But they also are um, thinking about what these kids lose a year from now. You're going to lose a generation of kids here that won't be as well educated as some of the others in the past or the ones in the future. So they have to kind of uh, still be uh, responsible for how that, what that outcome should be. And they got to fight for it. They can't let people just bulldoze them over. They got to fight for it because that's why we gave school districts that authority to protect our kids, raise their education, make sure they are safe and happy and, uh, achieving uh, goals that uh, the school district expects and the parents expect. Would it, would it make any sense or, or be um, even feasible to just call a do-over for 2020 universally? <laughs> you ain't going to get kids back in the classroom. <laughs> Once they age out of it, every 360 days they age out of that process. And they're not going back. <laughs> That's well, funny I think, thing about I think, that. I think I'm speaking as idealistically as Henry is, and I do hear a lot of idealism in Henry's um, expectations, but I have them myself. I think that uh, learning is a lifelong process. You don't stop learning, and you don't stop being curious. I think one of the things I never liked about George W. Bush's president is I never thought he had an intellectual curiosity. I think he's a charming guy, and he'd probably be great fun at a party, but he didn't seem to have the intellectual curiosity that I would think a president should have or, or would be ideal. Um, I, he- I heard I one, of, one of his staffers. Do. And children can, be, children can be put into uh, a mindset or in a situation where they can be motivated or motivate themselves to continue learning no matter what. Uh, that's, uh, thank you for mentioning that because all schools, education, the pedagogy of education is lifelong learning. They've been doing that for years. And they continue to do that. That is always a, 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 uh, 
a light at the end of the tunnel for every school district. Then what you're talking about when you talk about aging out, to me, I interpret it in my brain, is that now we're going by the standards that are set up by the texting agencies, by all of those heavily lobbying... I didn't Ruth, take that. Me. I didn't take that at all, Bobby. From what Henry said, I, I think what he said was the kids themselves feel yeah. that they've that's, aged that's out of I a meant. certain yeah. grade, yeah. and yeah. if if there was to be a do-over, they 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 yeah. just wouldn't participate. They wouldn't do that. Well, well if that, but if all the they kids could had, if all the kids had the same them. do-over. If all the kids had the same do-over, why would it be a problem? I don't know. It's been too long since I was a kid. I'm thinking here, kids, the, kids can probably make up lost time. I mean, there are, certainly are cases where my kid gets sick, is in the hospital for a semester or so, and then they're okay, and they come back, and they, they pick up for lost time. So I, I have a hunch that a few years from now, we're going to see that many of these kids have, have made up for lost ground. We I think hope so. That is what we're hoping. And besides, there's a cost to losing this year. There's a financial cost to the public. There's a financial cost to the community. And and even though... What do we we think about the kids who don't have access to Internet, who don't have uh, the computer at home, who don't have... That's up to people like you to find that... To find a solution. Yeah, we don't I, have that solution And And yet. I would suggest that, that the pandemic has, uh, in and of itself, created a lot of opportunities for people who didn't have access to those things before to get access. Right. Yes, I think doesn't it is. This, yeah. doesn't, this make, doesn't this make the argument that we need um, cable access, not cable access, Internet access, wideband right. access in every community provided by the government, which could be paid for with millage or with our money, um, so that everybody has access to it, and it's not something that only those who can afford to pay for it can have. Well, they, well, they did that uh, uh, up in Marquette. It, it actually started as a uh, college uh, project where the college was providing free Wi-Fi to the community just because their equipment was so strong, and then the city adopted it. In fact, so much so that uh, President Obama, one of the few presidents, um, if any others, to visit the Upper Peninsula, commented on uh, Marquette's program in a speech that he gave up there, hmm. um, talking about how you know ahead of the game they are by having. Uh, public Wi-Fi access for the entire community. And a lot of other cities are doing that. Uh, Jim Runestead, who (laughs) was in the news last week, uh, um, when he was uh, a county official in uh, Oakland County before he went to the uh, legislature and later the state Senate, um, was an advocate of public Wi-Fi and was lobbying for that even back then. It's emerging as a major utility. There was some talk of bringing that to Flint a few years ago. I sat in on a couple of meetings, oh, what, four years ago, I guess, um, where they were talking about expanding access and bringing in a, a broadband that would be uh, universal through the city. Now, I don't know what happened to the proposal, but it was being talked of. That was accomplished through the ISD for all school systems. Everybody's tied to the uh, There are 21 school districts in Genesee County. They're all tied together 
with broadband. But, but That's the kids why don't have access to it. They've all got broadband. They've all got broadband. Yeah, well, they got every capability there is hmm, okay. through the internet, and the ISP think, has tremendous power and influence and authority to do that. And uh, I know I was part home. of the process. They don't well, have it in the something. Who? Somebody has to pay for this. But and I think you got to come up with a plan for somebody to pay for that. You know, I mean, uh, and a lot of Americans like to live from shore to shore, sea to sea, and out in the open, and don't want to be in cities. And cities and stuff like that, you have this great capacity because it's it's feasible and it's practical. But out here, I don't have broadband. Broadband is is a half a mile away from me, but I don't have it. So uh, I. And, and I'm not going to cry about it. But interestingly, because if I want to, I can go over to school district or the library and use it. Cell phone technology has made it possible for places where they don't have cable wired in that um, people can uh, get access to the internet um, using uh, 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 what are they called uh, um, wireless modems that yes. operate yeah. essentially like a cell phone. Yeah. And it well, uses actually, the cell phone the whole, towers. The whole the whole bandwidth thing is public. That's public right of way. That belongs to the public. It's administered yes. by the government. It's contracted yeah. out by the government, and a lot of money is uh, paid for access to it. But somebody's making a lot of money. Municipalities and school districts they they have that, but, but small, uh, out in the open, I don't have it, and I don't miss it. Because yeah, but there is, there is out there where you are here. It's just not being accessed or controlled by some business or some some other organization. Yeah. And I think that they're working. I think the public is moving in that direction where everybody's connected by it. But it, that takes time and planning and money. And uh, we have to put up with it to bring you all back to Ohio schools. It has to be a priority, and that's... You've seen as a utility like like water or or things of that nature. I think. Yes, point. yes, and it's expressed in public policy through how we spend our money. <clears throat> yes, and and uh, we here in this region, in Bedford Township and Vienna, and all of those, we had difficulty in, in just getting reception for uh, emergency calls from parents to their children while they were at school because we didn't have towers oh. set up. Now, those towers have now been set up so that there's a much better communication system in Northwest Gen- Northeast Genesee County than there was uh, a year ago, uh, several years ago, like Flint yeah. does. Flint has automatic just uh, communication in an instant. We don't have that. Everybody doesn't. But if you live within the city of Flint, you ought to have it. Municipalities. Well, moving on, two of... Uh Former Governor Rick Snyder's top health officials are asking for a new judge to hear the involuntary manslaughter and other charges against them, alleged crimes tied to their roles in the Flint water crisis. Former Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Director Nick Lyon and former MDHHS Chief Medical Executive Dr. Eden Wells filed the judge swap request in a combined motion in Genesee County Circuit Court Tuesday. Uh, The two are asking Chief Circuit Court Judge Duncan Beagle to reassign their cases from Judge Elizabeth Kelly to Judge Joseph Farah. 
whom both Lyons and uh, Wells appeared before previously when their original water crisis cases were bound over in 2018. Both the Lyons and Wells cases, along with six others, were later dismissed by the Michigan Department of Attorney General in 2019 following the election of Dana Nessel, but both were charged again in January after the investigation of Flint water cri crimes uh, restarted under the leadership of Solicitor General Fadwa Hamoud and Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy. I is there any significance to this judge swap? It seems to me a very unusual request. I mean, to, in, in, clearly a, a judge who's got some, some direct personal involvement in the case shouldn't rule on it, but if you're simply a taxpayer or a citizen of a county, it seems like the involvement is so minute that it's 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 hard to say that it's it's hard to say that 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 uh, it's going to have any real effect. And for that matter, if you pick a judge in Michigan, at some point, whatever decision is made may affect people in Michigan in some very small way. So you could argue that some judge in another county or other parts of the state might also be in some very minute way be affected by some decision to award damages or something of that nature. So I I. It struck me as a very, very curious argument when I first heard it. Yeah, well, I don't even understand the argument. What is their argument? I don't know. Well, it, well my it depends on who's you're getting a, gored. If no, it's because you're a citizen of, 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 of Flint, the assumption was that well, basically whatever ruling you make could affect you in some small way, might cause an increase in taxes or increase in water rates or something. <clears throat> I mean, I suppose that's theoretically possible. But as I say, any time a judge makes a decision that might affect the government, if you're if you're living within the state or even within the nation at some level, it's going to affect you, albeit yeah. in an extremely minor way. Yeah, that's that's really a very specious argument. It's it's um it it was kind of an unusual story, and when I when I read the story, I couldn't help remembering a. Uh, Something that Bob Winford said on Armchair Politics years ago at the White Horse when uh, uh, Judge Farrow was in the White Horse at the time we were doing Armchair Politics. He was having breakfast, <laughs> as a lot of people used to do. And, um, and, and Bob Winford said, nobody's fairer than Judge Joe Farrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and you know Bob used to always come up with those That's funny Bob Winford. yeah those little Bobisms yeah. um, or yeah. Doctor Bobisms. You know, every judge, every judge is a human being. They all have their little quirks. I mean, I I've known some judges, and you know, I used to say, "Speak up, this one's deaf, and you know, this one wants to be in charge of the world, so you've got to be nice to him." You know, but is it is it is it critical for that uh, the outcome? to be what we think it ought to be. An outcome one or, or the other will resolve the problem. The only thing and I could think judge, of, Henry, was the only thing I could think of was that, you know, perhaps um, the, the lawyers and the defendants were a little bit more familiar with Farrah because they'd been in his court, or perhaps yeah. they thought maybe he served longer than Judge Kelly, and I'm not sure that uh, defendants get to decide 
the uh, qualifications of the judge they get. I'm sorry, guys. we got to take a break here, but we'll, uh, we'll come back and uh, talk some more armchair politics with Bobby Clayton Walton and our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue with our St. Patrick's Day edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Bobby Clayton Walton is joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Welcome back, everybody. Before the break, we were talking uh, a little bit about this uh, notion of um, defendants uh, in the Flint water crisis uh, criminal uh, cases swapping their judge from Elizabeth Kelly to uh, Joe Farah. You know, I had a, th- a thought on that again. It seems to me that any time a judge makes a ruling, particularly in a criminal case, that can have an effect on an individual. For example, on, 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 the, on the judge. For example, if a judge sentences somebody to, to prison, that's going to mean an increase in costs of some kind to the state. And theoretically, that could mean an increase in cost of taxes to the judge as long as he lives in that state. So, I mean, you could you could apply that principle to any case at all and say, well, gee, whatever you rule, judge, it's going to affect you in some minute way. And you could end up disqualifying every judge from every, every case around pretty much. So it, it is more, I think, the more I think about it, the more odd the argument becomes. Yeah. And, you know, I think you just made a perfectly good argument for um, for keeping it, Exactly as it is. Um, if I yeah. were a defense attorney or whatever, I think you did a good job. You know, I, I don't think it matters what the outcome is. The, the decision has to be made. And the presumption is, by people who practice law, is that you must dispose of the opposition. You must win at all costs. You've got to make a decision. It's got to be one way or the other. You can't bargain a compromise. And somebody has to lose and somebody has to, to win. And in that case, whoever wins will have done exactly what the expectation of the law is. You make a good point, Henry. I think in the, in the end, in terms of the, the, the citizens of the city of Flint, there has to be a feeling of restoration of trust. And there's got to be a feeling the process was fair. And if, if somebody ends up coming out on top because of some legal maneuvering or legal trick that's going to undermine the trust that's been damaged so badly over over the last number of years with the water crisis so i, I think you're exactly right that that's the key issue is will, yeah. will, this, will the whole process restore who, trust uh, who gets to make the decision who gets to make the decision on the judge question um it was uh proposed to let's see uh duncan beagle Okay, he's the administrative judge. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, in other uh, Flint water crisis legal news, lawyers involved in a massive settlement of civil lawsuits uh, arising from the Flint water crisis would receive up to almost $203 million in attorney fees plus nearly $7.2 million in expenses under a proposal filed with a federal judge late Monday night. Overall, attorney fees would consume about 32% of the total settlement of $641.25 million. That percentage is in line with contingency fees in civil lawsuits, but experts interviewed Monday said it is a high percentage for a megafund settlement like the one for Flint. It will be up to U.S. District Judge Judith Levy, or Levy, who is handling the case to decide the attorney fee question. Should lawyers get through 32% of this total settlement? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I don't think so. And, and there, they, were there, as you, you, you kind of quoted the article, there was a good article, I think, in the Detroit News talking about these mega cases where, yeah, a third is common for a lot of normal lawsuits when you've got these multi-multi-million dollar cases. It's very but, common to reduce it substantially. But guys, as we all agree from time to time, it depends on what the marketplace will bear. Well, yeah, if there's 32% of $641 million up for grabs, I'll be happen, right there, it's too. It's not going to happen. Yeah, if there's... Getting back to winners and losers, Henry. <laughs> Yeah, if there's that kind of money up for grabs, I'll be right there, too. Yeah, $200 million is a lot of legal work for $200 million. Well, moving on to Lansing, bills subjecting the governor's office and state lawmakers to open records laws appear poised to move forward in the Michigan legislature, but an advocacy group says it's readying plans to launch a ballot initiative on the matter on the grounds that the package doesn't go far enough. The Michigan Senate Oversight Committee held a hearing on a 10-bill package Tuesday that would subject the governor, lieutenant governor, and their staffs to the state's Freedom of Information Act and establish a separate legislative Open Records Act, albeit with an array of broad exemptions on what types of documentation could be requested by the public. Michigan is an outlier compared to the rest of the country when it comes to who is covered under FOIA. It's one of the only states in the nation to not subject their state-level offices, or officials rather, to some form of open records law, and Michigan ranked last in a nationwide uh, government transparency report from the Center for Public Integrity in 2015. Um, And it's interesting, it's been six years since that report came out. I had somebody from the center on the show when it came out, and Michigan was dead last, and here it is six years later, and it hasn't changed. Will this issue be resolved in the legislature or at the ballot box? It might be resolved at the ballot box. Michigan yeah. has uh, one of the states that does have initiative and referendum, which some states don't have, which means that, you know, ordinary people can, can start a petition drive and get a, a question put on the ballot. Um, I think the legislature is resisting having their uh, dirty linen subject to being examined, and it's been that way for a long time. But the question that comes to me is there's another question that also comes up on freedom of information. I was appalled to learn 
that all of the paperwork that goes into preparing the budget, that's those kinds of things that are passed back and forth in discussing between this, that, and the other on what we should do and what we shouldn't do with the money, is not open to public examination. All of the files and records that go into preparing the budget are not open. Yeah, the budget um, yeah. is open, and they do have to share that that information. But come on, guys, show your work. That's yes. right. <laughs> as you point out, Michigan is dead last among the fifty states. We are dead last in terms of openness and this kind of thing. I mean, it's it's not like we're we're asking for anything unusual. Most states do a dramatically better job than we do in terms of just. Well, you know, when I lived in Maryland, Common Cause was very very active in getting ethics legislation passed and a lot of, you know, good, good government uh, laws passed. Michigan's uh, common cause presence is very, very narrow and, in fact, probably non-existent at this point. So what advocacy group do we have that really pounds the table for ethics legislation? Sometimes the League, the League of Women Voters picks up the ball occasionally in those kind of cases. Yeah, uh, they're very slow in their movement, though, in their lobbying yeah. effort, not very yeah, big. Yeah, they, they, they don't have quite the same same leverage. Mm-mm, no. No, they don't. They did a really good job on the... Um, Gerrymandering. On the expansion of, of the uh, right to vote. But oh, yeah, they yeah have, that's, that too, that too. Yeah, and I think <laughs> they've been working on the, the ballot so that we could have ranked voting or something. Well, a joint Michigan Senate committee meeting uh, heard testimony Tuesday from Canadian officials and business leaders as a potential shutdown of Enbridge's Line 5 oil pipeline is on the horizon. The joint meeting uh, for Senate Energy and Technology and National or Natural Resources Committees follows calls from Republican legislatures to President Joe Biden to stop Governor Gretchen Whitmer's shutdown order from taking effect. Whitmer revoked the easement for the pipeline, which runs through the Straits of Mackinac, and ordered it shut down in May. Pipeline owner Embridge has filed a lawsuit contesting the order, and Canadian officials have also put pressure on Biden and Whitmer to keep it open. Should Line 5 be shut down, and if so, what is the best way to transport the oil? Well, I'd uh, rather they're considering trucks. Yeah, no, I, I, was, I was struck, and I'd like to see some serious scientific studies of the comparison of any pipeline, whether it's Line 5 or any other, compared to trucks or trains. I saw, saw one, I think it was an article, talking about the pollution generated by trucks and trains doing the same thing. And I, whether those numbers are valid or not, I don't know. But I'd like to see some serious neutral scientific studies on which one really is best for the environment because I whenever I get parked behind a train watching it go by with all these oil cars I think that maybe pipelines if they're done right might be a better way of, tra- of transporting oil than these endless lines of, of cars on the rails there have yeah. been studies for, for 20 years over uh, which way is the best way to support uh, <clears throat> moving fuel from Canadian side to the Michigan side. And there's a lot of data that indicates that it's safer with the pipeline. And, and then there are arguments on the other side, oh, no, 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 there's a safe day to use trucks and trains and so on and so forth. But it's the incident rate of per million gallons uh, pushed through the pipeline as a million gallons that you would carry overland by 
truck or car or lifted pipes or whatever on trestles. That isn't, but, isn't that bean counting that again? It's bean counting to say the number of incidents. I, I think I don't you know, but, but this, I, I, I'm telling you what I know, not what I can't. I know. Well, you and have I'm to have you uh, have to have some data to, on which to base your decisions, yeah. and um, yeah, you know it you shouldn't do, it shouldn't to. be only that. I, I I take your point, Bobby, but we do have to break here for a moment and do our uh, top of the hour show ID and so on, and then we'll uh, come back with the second half of today's edition of Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by political operative. Uh, Bobby Clayton Walton. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, because there's a lot more armchair politics straight ahead. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 